0: Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. A very special welcome to you. We count it an immense privilege that you would entrust what may be the first part of your spiritual journey uh, to this community. There's a couple of things you need to know before we jump in that I think are vitally important for us, for you. Number one is that this is a place where you can belong before you believe. That's important for us, for you to know. This is a place where you can belong before you believe. You don't have to believe what we believe to be a part of this community. We believe that over time in the context of community, you will form your beliefs and views about Jesus. And then secondarily, this is a place where you can work out what you believe. So if you're in a, series, a, a season of deconstruction or something that you're navigating or an area of faith that you're struggling with, this is a great place to be among people who will love you without judgment Uh, And always point you to the beauty of Jesus. Amen? Uh, Last time we were together, uh, we saw the powerful truth that the Holy Spirit empowers us for God's mission. That's what he does, to see many people far from him brought into our spiritual family. And today, the Jesus Revolution continues. Tough choices lay ahead for the disciples. How will they know? This is the question hanging over this entire sermon. How will they know if God is speaking to and leading them? Anybody ever had that question? How do we know if God is speaking to and leading us? Uh, If you want to follow along, you can follow along with the Bible notes. So throw a QR code up there. That's also where you're going to find your weekly digital bulletin so that you can know what's going on. Okay, well, I've lost my touch. Um, But that's where you'll find your weekly bulletin as well so that you can know what's going on in the life of the church. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today. Uh, We're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to work our way all the way through 26, uh, but we're just going to read verse 12 through 14 together. And uh, I believe at some point that QR code will be up, and you'll be able to get those notes in that bulletin as well. Uh, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas son of James, not to be confused with Judas Iscariot. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as Jesus' brothers. The word of the Lord, and if you would say with me, thanks be to God. Father, we pray now in the masterless name of Jesus that you would give us clarity, that you would give us open hearts and minds as we engage your word. Father, I pray that you would hide me behind your hand. And that you would speak and make yourself visible so that today, together, we might hear the call Yahweh, the voice of God that can only be discerned in the gathered community of God's people. I pray, Lord God, that no matter where we are in our journey with, away from, or toward Jesus, that we would be completely sure that today we have heard from you. We ask all of this. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen and amen. Uh, If you are here at Water Place or you are a part of the Renovation Online family, good morning, online family, then you and me, you and me and just about everyone that has tuned in today, we share something in common. I already asked you the question. You responded quite vigorously. And that is that we all, if we're here, If we're here at church at all, if we're gathered online at all, we all want certainty that God is speaking to us and leading us, every single one of us. So many of the hurdles that we experience, the paralysis in decision-making, the frustration with prayer, frustration with God, if we can be honest, it all terminates in this commonality. That if you practice the way of Jesus to any degree, you want to be certain that you know God is speaking to and leading you. Here, though, is the problem. We have an enemy. And this time I'm not talking about Satan, that great enemy. I'm talking about the enemy of self. And what comes from ourselves that leaves us with uncertainty that God is speaking to and leading us is unbelief. It's unbelief. It seems simplistic, I know, but unbelief really is, listen to me, unbelief really is underneath every issue in your life, period. Because if you believe that Jesus walked on water, why are you worried about what somebody else is saying about you? And if you believe that Jesus is walking on water, why clench so tightly to the things that he's put in your hands? I could go on and on. Every single issue we experience in life is rooted in unbelief. And every struggle that you and I have with God is rooted in unbelief. And some of you might be thinking, well, I would believe if I understood. I gather that. I gather that. And to you, I submit this quote from one of our great theologians in history, Anselm of Canterbury. What a great name. And he said this. He said, credo ut intelligent or credo ut intelligent. Either way you want to pronounce it, and it means this. It means I believe in order that I might understand. In fact, the full context of this statement is this. For I do not seek to understand in order to believe, but again, hear it. I believe in order to understand. We want understanding. I gather that. But what we need is belief. (laughs) And with belief, guess what? With belief comes understanding. Understanding. This issue of unbelief leads to a second question. What is hindering our ability to believe God? Have you ever been reflective enough to ask that question? If you haven't been, we're going to do it together through the Lent season when we fast for 40 days for the Lenten season. And this is one of the questions that we will be perusing together. What is it that is hindering me from believing God? Well, the answer is everything. (laughs) Everything within you. And around you, is competing for your belief. Did you know that? Politicians want you to believe in them and their platform. The host culture wants you to believe that what it offers is superior to what God offers. Your internal voices want you to believe that you are somehow uniquely disconnected from God, and therefore, it's not even worth trying. Because why would he want somebody like me? The market wants you to believe that wealth is the answer to everything you are facing. The Falcons want you to believe that one day they're going to win us a championship. I'm just saying, y'all in an abusive relationship. He keeps saying he's not going to do it again, and then he does. With so many things competing for our belief, it is no wonder we find ourselves stuck in these cycles. You know the cycle. Believing, then doubting. Then believing, then doubting, then questioning, then believing, then doubting. Turning our belief towards something else that we think is going to fulfill only to find it empty. And then turning back to God and saying, no, I'll give my belief to you. And then doubting. And we find ourselves in this cycle over and over again. But I firmly believe that every single person who practices the way of Jesus should be confident of when God is speaking to them and leading to them. Why? Because the Bible says that that is your inheritance. That belongs to you. Now, even as I say this, don't think for a moment that I don't understand the struggle. Okay? I understand how you're feeling. Even as a pastor, I wrestle through my own cycles of belief and doubt. Believe you me. And the same thing is competing for your belief. It's competing for my belief. But what I've come to understand as true over 20-plus years of following Jesus is that the Scriptures always point me back to the truth, which reawakens me to the certainty that God is speaking to me and leading me. Can I share a little story with you? How this played out recently in my life. In the summer of 2022, I was praying. I was asking God for fresh vision. Fresh vision for my life, fresh vision for this church. And I just felt this unsettledness. And some of you will know immediately what I'm talking about. It's an unsettledness, not that anything is wrong, but that everything is not as right as it could be. And that's a peculiar unsettledness. Because when we know something is wrong, we can address what is wrong. But when it's just a sense that maybe everything is not as it should be, boy, it is something else that goes on in your gut, isn't it? And I remember sitting before the Lord and and trying to figure out what this unsettledness was, particularly related to our church. And in that moment, not in any audible way, but in in my heart, I heard these words, and I know that I didn't generate them because I wasn't thinking about this. Uh, I heard the Lord say, you've forgotten your OS. I said, OS? Yeah, your operating system. And he took me. Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read it to you. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both, listen, both into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us, abolishing the law with his commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself One new humanity in place of two, thus making peace and might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. He reminded me, that's your O.S. The reason why you're feeling unsettled about the church right now is because you forgot your O.S. You forgot your operating system. Uniting divided people at the foot of the cross, people who would not otherwise cross paths or be in community with each other is why you and Brianna started this journey. Everyone stands equal at the foot of the cross and somewhere in the middle of it, you lost sight of that sign. And then he took me to Ephesians chapter four. And he said, this is the way to find your way back to the vision I have for your church. I want to read it to you. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. I was reminded because I got in His Word and I was trying to listen. I was reminded of when I lost my way. I was reminded of when I started hiring people to do ministry instead of hiring staff to equip people to be released in ministry. I was reminded. I was reminded. And it was confirmed further by our spiritual family, by staff and not. And I was certain that God was speaking to me and leading me through his word. And I want you to have that certainty too. I want you to have that certainty too. And there are five observations that I want to make as we go through Acts chapter 1 here in verse 12 to 26, five observations I want us to make from Luke's record of Jesus' revolution that I think will help get us there, okay? Okay. Luke tells us in verse 12 that the disciples, having seen Jesus' ascension, head to Jerusalem to do what Jesus instructed, wait for the Holy Spirit to come and baptize them, empowering them for the Jesus' revolution. Listen, and this is not a shock. It's just something for you to consider. Knowing if God is speaking to and leading you begins with obeying the obvious instructions you've already been given. I don't know if God is speaking. Well, he told you not to do that, so do that first, and then see what he says next. You knew you don't do that. The books say that. So let's, let's obey the things in the book, and then maybe the other stuff will come. Very spicy today. Got too much sleep. I sleep over seven hours. This is what happens. Jesus' disciples arrive in the city of Jerusalem and head to the upper room where they were staying together. Verse 13 tells us that the room afforded them a certain amount of privacy as they waited obediently. And to ensure that we and Theophilus, who Luke is writing to, do not lose the path of the narrative, Luke lists the 11 remaining apostles, demonstrating that it was the close disciples of Jesus that were the core of the early church. And what do we find them doing in the upper room? Do you have it open? What do we find them doing in the upper room? Praying. That's what verse 14 tells us. They're praying. The 11 disciples along with Jesus' mama and Jesus' brothers and select women disciples took this moment in the upper room, look at the word right there, to constantly devote themselves to prayer. What do you think constant means in the Greek? Constantly, constantly. That's what it means. And only you really bad people got that song reference. We're going to pray together after church constantly devoting themselves to prayer. In fact, as you read through Acts, you will find that over and over again, prayer anchors every aspect of the lives of those who practice the way of Jesus. It anchors every aspect of the life of Jesus' church. And that's our first observation, that if you want to be certain that God is speaking to and leading you, guess what? You have to cultivate a prayer life. You have to cultivate a prayer life. And not just a private prayer life, you have to corporate, uh, cultivate a corporate prayer life. You have to uh, uh, cultivate a prayer life that involves the people of God. Communal prayer, private prayer, both are vital. And this is God's invitation to you. Leverage prayer as your greatest power. Leverage prayer as your greatest power. I can't make you believe this. I certainly cannot make you believe this. But anybody who has experienced the power of prayer will tell you that there are things that I tried to solve, that I tried to fix, that I tried to sort, that I intellectually understood how to pull it apart, and it just wasn't pulling. But then I called on the Lord, and all of a sudden, the situation changed. We got to cultivate a life of prayer. In fact, I'm going to challenge you to do something. Make a commitment today to show up just one day this week. We have a few days left in our 21 days of prayer. Show up one day this week and experience the power of corporate prayer with God's people. What we see for certain in Luke's record is that the Holy Spirit is the divine gift which empowers and guides the church. And the corresponding human attitude toward God, what? It must be prayer. In fact, St. Augustine said this, the thought of you stirs a person so deeply that they cannot be content unless they praise you because you made us for yourself, this part right here, and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. You want peace? Cultivate a prayer life. You want peace? Put yourself in the presence. You want peace? Be stirred by the majesty of God. And I promise you, as Paul writes in Philippians, that peace that surpasses all understanding will be yours. I promise you that. It is as the church prays that it receives the Holy Spirit. And so at the outset, Luke emphasizes that the disciples spent time waiting for the Spirit in an attitude of continuous and united prayer. As he continues to unfold the church's birth, he turns his attention to a horrifying story. I hesitated to tell it, honestly. But the narrative is concerned with the choice of a successor for Judas Iscariot, a successor to become a witness to the resurrection and to take his place among the 12 apostles. And woven in this account of how uh, the replacement is found is how Judas died and lost his place. And it is a graphic and painful telling of Judas' choice and where that choice Led him. Peter initiates the conversation in verse 15. There among what Luke says is about 120 people. And Peter begins by claiming, listen, that it was necessary for the scriptures to be fulfilled in the case of Judas, the betrayer of Jesus. The reference to David as the author, the writer through whom the Holy Spirit made his prophecy directs our attention to the two quotations in verse 20. We're not going to read them, but I want you to see them, which come from the Psalms. And the first psalm deals particularly with Judas' fate. The scripture had to be fulfilled because Judas belonged to the number of the 12 and had his appointed share in the task of being a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And his share would need to be taken over by somebody else. And as horrifying as the circumstances are, our second observation actually arises in Peter's words. If you and I are going to be certain about God speaking and leading in our lives, then we must have faith that God's word is always fulfilled. Always. Always. Believe that God's word is always fulfilled. That's what Peter is saying here. That God's word has to be fulfilled, and this is how it's being fulfilled. And when we begin to live a life where we actually believe that God's word is being fulfilled, then it will build up our faith. If he spoke it, he will do it. If he said it to you or through you, it will happen. The scriptures teach us that God's word never comes back unfulfilled. Even in this terrible circumstance, through the words of David in the Psalms, we see that truth ring out again. Peter then digresses for a moment, describing the horrific manner in which Judas died. The death of Judas carried was a suicide, committed after he was filled with remorse but not repentance. And there's a difference. The scriptures, in fact, tell us that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, but worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow leads to repentance and no regret. Worldly sorrow leads to death, and Judas had worldly sorrow. Matthew tells us that Judas died by hanging. Luke says Judas fell into a field and his body ruptured. Which one of those things is true? Well, actually, it's a simple reconciliation of the facts. Judas hanged himself in the potter's field according to Matthew 27, 5, and that's how he died. And then afterwards, his body began to decay, began to bloat, and the rope broke, or the branch broke, and he fell to the ground, and his body burst open. Why? Because no normally, moderately healthy man who falls down is just going to explode. Like, if that is one of your concerns, we need to get you medical attention immediately. So Luke didn't say that Judas died from the fall. He said only that his body fell. And the Acts passage presumes that Judas hung himself and then fell from the tree. So Matthew mentions the actual cause of death. Luke focuses more on the horror surrounding it. And why would I unpack this for you? Because I think there's an important observation that we must make in light of this horror. And that is that we need to run to God when we sin because we know God's grace. We need to run to him, not away from him. And that's the only difference in Peter and Judas. You know that, right? Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter betrayed Jesus. Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Peter swore to God that he didn't know God. Think about that. But one ran into his own sorrow filled self righteousness, and the other ran into the gracious arms of Jesus. Listen to me, family when you fail, and you will, Run to Jesus, not away from him, and he will meet you with grace and with mercy. The Bible doesn't promise us that we're never going to mess it up. What it promises us is that we can mess it up a 100 times and run right back to Jesus every time. That's what it promises us, and that's what Peter understood. He continues by describing the nature of the task before them in verse 21 and 22, which is to be, I said it already, witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And it's required that the full witness number of witnesses be made up. But the choice to be made is made from a group of people who have been associated with the apostles from the beginning. Two candidates are put forward. Joseph Barsabbas, who also had a Latin name, Justice. That's pretty dope. Which was a practice followed by many Jews. They would give themselves a Jewish name and a Latin name. Nothing more is known about him, although legend has it that he drank some poison and didn't die. Just a quick nerd fact for you today. The fact you didn't ask for. And then there's Matthias, which is an abbreviated form of Matthai, another common name. But the real choice was not the people in the room. The real choice was being made by the Lord himself. And so the group, therefore, prayed to God that God would exercise his choice by virtue of his knowledge of people's hearts. In this description of God, the disciples acknowledge that God perceives their needs And their motives. Don't miss that. God perceives their needs and their motives and will guide them in the way that they should go. I'm going to encourage you to adopt the same posture. Adopt the same posture if you want to be certain that God is speaking to you and leading you in your life. God sees your needs and your motives. So make sure that your motives are clear and your needs are clarified. Because he sees them. That's why I don't know why we pray these pretend prayers. Like we juke in (laughs) God. He sits outside of time, folks. He knows the next seven choices you're going to make. So don't pray fake prayers. Ask for what you really need. Not for the thing that you think God wants you to ask for. Ooh. Or for the thing that little religious voice is in the back of your head saying, you got to do this because it's right. No, ask for what you need. There's only three answers to prayer. Yes. No. Or I have something else for you. Oh, no, I'm not saying not now. Because even not now is a yes. Can I have some chips, daddy? Not right now. But did I say no? No, I still said yes. It's just going to be on my time and not his time. It's only three answers. Yes, no, I have something better for you. Did you hear? I have something better for you. You asking for Burger King, I got steak over here. I have something better for you. God sees your needs and your motives. And he will lead you. If you live like you believe this, you will experience God speaking and leading through every decision and every pivotal moment in your life. I promise you. After praying, the disciples do something that might sound strange to us. You see it? They cast lots. Felt a lot like shooting dice to me. (laughs) One day of justice was like 7 seven eleven. <laughs> That's my number. Snake eyes again. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to get saved one day, I promise. <laughs> so it did. I'm just saying, it felt a lot like shooting dice to me. But the practice of casting lots was actually common in the Old Testament. And, in fact, the Old Testament depicts certain types of lot casting. Listen, this is important. Not as a matter of chance. But it's an opportunity for God to make His will known in an unmistakable way. Now you got to remember, as we even as we giggle a little bit, because it's funny. Like I'm, just, I, just, I can just see Peter like this, like, like I just see it. You know, that's a dude that cut somebody's ear off, right? Gang gang. like a goon. Like Jesus had disciples and a goon, right? Just how many times did He look at him and be like, "Bro, again? Come on, man." Like. The sanctification is not catching up fast enough. But we got to remember, even as we laugh a little bit, we got to remember, and this is why we're going through the book of Acts, they didn't have the divine guidance of the Holy Spirit yet. Do you understand that your entire Christian life, you have had more access to God than the disciples had in their first five years of following Jesus? Because you got the spirit of God. They had to roll dice because the spirit didn't speak to their hearts. But here's our final observation, and this is the point. God does make his will known in unmistakable ways. And I'm convinced, please don't take this the wrong way. I'm convinced that most of the time when we treat his will with great mystery is because what he's revealed is just something we don't want. So he must got something else back there. He's like, no, we had pizza Saturday. It's chicken and broccoli for dinner tonight. Well, I don't like it. I don't want it. Well, eat this or eat nothing. That's the position we put God in. I'm convinced that there's very little mystery to his will. The word speaks clearly. The community supports the word. And you have the Holy Spirit poured into your heart. That's what Romans says. And so if his will is some crazy mystery to you, maybe it's because he's already said something that you just don't want. But God makes his will known in unmistakable ways. So we don't have to cast lots anymore. We have his written word. We have his rhema word. Through prayer and supplication, we have words of knowledge. We have words of wisdom. We have words of prophecy. He's talking all the time. What station are you tuned to? We have the wisdom of seasoned saints who can stand back and say, I did that. Don't do that. You know, I had somebody look at me in my face a couple years ago, and I was like, listen, I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm just going to tell you what my experience is. I did this, and this is how it played out for me, and I don't think that that's a good idea. And they said, Well, I learned by hitting my own head. And I said, Well, that's called lacking wisdom. (laughs) Because wisdom is not only knowledge applied, wisdom is learning from the knowledge applied of other people who go before you. Right? I ran into enough walls, y'all shouldn't have to run into none. I'm like this much saved just slid across the line. He's like, I need another crazy person who will say whatever is in his heart. And he let me in. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. We have the wisdom of the seasoned saints. We have the collective wisdom of the spiritual family. God speaks all the time. We've made it mysterious so we don't have to obey. Now, if you're here at Water Place or you're gathered online, hey, online family, and you don't yet practice the way of Jesus, I want to speak directly to you for just a moment because today was filled with some twists and turns, right? Suicide and a sermon, that's a lot. But I want to draw your attention to the most important thing highlighted today, and that's the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the driving force behind this portion of Luke's record is the disciples finding someone to help them be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Peter said it outright. And I want to draw your attention to that event because Jesus' resurrection is the most important event in human history. Everything changed for humanity when Jesus rose from death. Jesus said so himself before he went to the cross. Listen to this. He said, anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And here's how he ended the sentence. Do you believe this? And that's my question for you. Do you believe this? Jesus is not stating that if you believe in him, you will never experience pain or death in this mortal body. He acknowledges that people will experience some sort of death in the first part of the statement. In fact, we lose a little something in the translation because where he says you will never ever die, that word is best understood as you will never experience eternal death. And so what Jesus is saying is when we live our mortal life in Jesus, trusting Jesus, practicing the way of Jesus, then when that day comes and we close our eyes in this mortal body for the final time, we are going to open them again in eternal life, face to face with the living God. That's the promise of the resurrection. That death is no longer an undefeated opponent, my God. That the grave has lost its ability to harm us. Jesus' claim is that he is the way to experience eternal life and that those who put their trust in him will never truly die. Not only that, but he will meet you where you are right now. In whatever you're struggling with right now. And he will bring this glorious future of eternal life in some way into your present reality. In fact, N.T. Wright says it this way He says, run off to meet Jesus, tell him your problem, ask him why he didn't come sooner and why he allowed that awful thing to happen, and then be prepared for a surprising response. I can't predict what the response will be for the very good reason that it is always, always a surprise. But I do know the shape it will take. Jesus will meet your problem with some new part of God's future that can and will burst into your present time, into the mess, into the grief, with good news, with hope, with new possibilities. That's the invitation today. Will you allow Jesus to meet you there in the power of his resurrection? Here then is a call to action for all of us today. That if you want to be certain of God speaking to and leading you, here's what I'm inviting you to do practice one of each of the three types of spiritual disciplines this week and every week going forward. No one will do it perfectly, but we can do it consistently. Now, when I say the three types of spiritual disciplines, what do I mean? Well, there are inward spiritual disciplines, and prayer is one of those. Prayer. There are outward spiritual disciplines, and simplicity is one of those. There are corporate spiritual disciplines, and gathered worship is one of those. And my invitation to you is that, again, if you want to know for sure that God is speaking and leading, guess what? you got to be around God, and you got to be around his people. Some of us need to slow down long enough to be discipled, But that's a different message. That's where simplicity comes in. Your life is moving so fast that your inner world is chaos and you don't have time to fix it. Simplicity helps with that. Do these spiritual disciplines, and I promise you. The voice of God will become so crystalline and so clear to you that you will be blown away at the clarity. Scriptures will pop into your mind. Words will pop into your mind. Listen, restraint that you didn't think you had will suddenly take hold of you. Because I know y'all. I know y'all well. Some of y'all got a smack of ministry. And the Lord will stay that hand even when somebody deserves it. That's the work of the Spirit of God. But you've got to cultivate it by leaning into what he has done with what you can do. Amen? Now listen, if integrating those spiritual disciplines into the rhythms of your life seem too much today, maybe because you're a new Christian or you don't yet practice the way of Jesus, then a small step you can take in faith is to just say a simple prayer today. I'm going to tell you what it is. You don't have to pray it with me. You pray it at some point during the rest of our gathering. Jesus, make yourself real to me, lead me. That's it. Pray that prayer as an act of faith and open your heart to the possibility of his presence. The reality is if you integrate those disciplines, you will grow exponentially in your certainty of God speaking and leading. And if you don't, well, then you remain unsure. But I thought to myself as I wrote this, I thought, can I imagine? Can I, I just wanted to take myself there. Can you imagine the spiritual power and depth and clarity and joy we would have as a church if we were certain when God is speaking and leading? Can you imagine what would be possible for us if we actively pursued our relationship with God through the means of spiritual disciplines? It would be an infectious force in this city and beyond. I believe that. And I pray that you would believe for nothing less. Worship team, come on up. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now in the name of Jesus that you would seal your word to our hearts. That you would teach us, Lord, through your disciplines, through your word, through community. Teach us to discern when you are speaking and when you are leading. And give us the grace to know the difference in your voice and any other that we might hear. In Jesus' name, amen.